Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. This is the first podcast-style lecture that we are doing. So this may be a little rough, it's but... It's going to uh, be weird. Stay tuned. We're going to get better. We really just had to, like, hit record and not just quit messing around. <laughs> just, just get it going. Just start. Um, yeah. So we're going to be talking about traumatic arrests. Um, so I think I did a medical... Or I guess it was it was geared towards medical, but it was like a how to run a code lecture yeah. for them last yeah. semester. But it was like straight PowerPoint and like yeah, so kind of oriented at like our traditional yes. ACLS cardiac arrest. But I think this would be better. Yeah, definitely better. Be fun. Some of the nuances of you know trauma, and kind of find that that happy ground between you know when do we say hey it's a traumatic mm-hmm. arrest with limited survivability, mm-hmm. and when do we actually figure out that we can make a true difference mm-hmm. with this. Um, I feel like this would be more easy for them to like, digest and, like, listen to, too, you know? Because like, you don't have to, like, sit down and, like, stare at a screen. You yeah. can just, like... Do it while you're running on the treadmill while you're driving or whatever. Or, yeah. I like to listen to them while I'm doing, like, laundry and cleaning the house. I do the but. same thing. <laughs> right, so you want to define traumatic arrest for I, us? I would love to define traumatic arrest. Right. So, um... What website am I on? I'm on PubMed right now. This is saying traumatic cardiac arrest occurs when a severely injured patient ceases to produce spontaneous cardiac output. Survival rates from traumatic cardiac arrest have been poor with approximately 2% of patients surviving to hospital discharge. So I feel like that definition kind of encompasses traumatic arrest pretty well. We found some Mm -hmm. other ones that kind of were geared more towards like hemorrhagic shock like yeah. arrest resulting from that yar stabbings or shootings yeah, stuff like you know, that which car probably, accidents yes definitely mm-hmm. which is probably the more common yeah etiologies of, of traumatic arrest yeah but, and i mean definitely like us being so close to new haven like being mm-hmm. in kind of a, an urban demographic mm-hmm. that tends to be the the large amount of traumatic mm-hmm. arrests we deal with we we see the shootings we see the stabbings we have a lot of highway mm-hmm. um so we have those rough crashes um but but i mean we kind of forget about a lot of the other ones that that definitely have mm-hmm. a good amount of reversible causes as well like we yeah. look at our our drownings you know um, and like some of the things with like drownings are interesting that we're going to talk about in a few is it kind of becomes like a hypoxic medical arrest yeah. post traumatic event. But it's not like like it's something on the outside of them mm-hmm. that caused them yeah that to it, die. that exterior factor yes. affecting it. I feel like that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, it's traumatic a, arrest. Yeah, not something that's happening in your anatomy. It's yeah. something happen you know an external factor that's caused that. Which I actually think is a really good way to kind of look at the broad definition is an yeah. external factor causing that arrest. So that the one we just the article we just read on PubMed said two percent survived to hospital discharge, and we found this other article which will link all the um, like the PMID numbers and notes or something like that. But this one says eleven point one percent survived to hospital discharge, but this one did not include patients that were not transported. So this is 11.1% of patients who were taken to a hospital. So you figure that's already higher survivability. Yeah, so this is probably, I feel like the 2% is probably. A more more accurate, accurate. yeah. Um, Because, I mean, that really is the takeaway. A lot of our, you know, I think about the largest amount of traumatic arrests I've done, and they've been motor vehicle accidents, and yeah, you go, we're, we're good, you know. Especially in the setting of like uh, those tend to be not necessarily mass casualty, but yes. you know multiple casualty yes. incidents so where other patients are yeah we triage the lactate exactly exactly 
Um, and I feel like a while, even like, I mean, we're fairly young providers, but I feel yeah. like we were taught like, oh, traumatic arrest, like you're dead. Like there's yeah, no like it's way gone, you're surviving. You know? But like now I feel like with all the tools that we have, mm-hmm. like. Well, well, I mean, even the, like that's a really interesting point. Like the, the best example of that that comes to my mind is I remember going through medic school and I wasn't taught about um, like car accident, double um, decompressing, mm-hmm. cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, you know, even in my short, you know, six-ish years in uh, as an ALS provider mm-hmm. um, has changed where now if I do have a cardiac arrest, you know, and resources allow, I try the, the double decompression just mm-hmm. because that that is being found to be a reversible cause yeah. of traumatic arrest. This article is also lists some um, factors that are positively associated with survival. So okay. age 16 to 64 has a better likelihood of surviving compared to age over 65. Okay. Which makes sense because people older generally have like more comorbidities and like underlying things like that. Uh, and, th- and like that's even um kind of talking about those comorbidities. Like that's a really good thing to look for. Um, even obviously we're talking about traumatic arrests here, but even in trauma, you know, maybe those, those pending traumatic arrests. Yeah. Um, cause like, I remember the first time I saw, it was like a 70 year old guy who crashed his car. Um, and it blew my mind as a, as a younger provider that I'm like, the dude's very hypotensive. Mm-hmm. Why is he not tachycardic? Yeah. And I figured out he's on a beta blocker. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, just a, just a quick talking point of kind of, you know, looking for some of these other reasons and, uh. Even in something that seems pretty cut and dry, traumatic mm-hmm. in nature, you may have medical factors kind of mm-hmm. kind of playing into that. Yeah. And this also cites injuries to vital locations such as the head and neck or torso mm-hmm. were associated with poor outcomes. Obviously, that makes yeah. good sense. My uh, my favorite saying: injuries incompatible. With life. Yes. Those um, are those are pretty cut and dry ones. This also says when compared to self-payment or uninsured, all other methods of coverage were positively so like people who. Yeah, have I remember good reading that. Uh-huh. And I wonder if that's more like correlation instead of causation because generally yeah. people who are uninsured or like had more undiagnosed had, yes, yeah comorbidities or like, like what's the word? When, when I read that the other day when you showed me that, I had that same thought yeah. that I'm like that's a that's a really interesting yeah. data point. Just and I'm curious generally why. like less access to care if you don't have insurance yeah. or something. Yeah. Like yeah, hidden that, stuff so. that may make them less yeah. prone to surviving a traumatic event. Yeah. I think those are the big points again. And then they said this study did not include traumatic arrests that were not transported. Okay. So I mean yeah, that's a big so, skew in data, yes, but still a still an interesting study. But I feel like 11.1% out of people who are trans, I feel like that's pretty good. That's a pretty high number. It didn't really say anything about like proximity to a trauma center, but I feel Mm. like that, I feel like people who have a traumatic arrest that are not close, like they probably didn't transport those patients. So I imagine that's Uh, why they're not really setting Uh, that as a factor. I would also be interested to know how many, and, and again, this may be getting a little off topic, but how many patients did not go into a traumatic arrest because of proximity to a trauma center, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe somebody that in a more rural setting in 45 minutes would have gone into an arrest yeah. without that, you yeah. know, definitive care. That's a great point. Here we go next. So what kind of, what kind of things cause traumatic arrest? We'll just summarize some, okay. go, go into them. Yeah, so I mean, we've got, we've got a bunch of different causes and uh, I, I really think we kind of arrived on our own definition, which is external factors. Mm. Um, and it's really anything that when I look at it, it's somebody that was not going to arrest that day on their own. <laughs> they they uh, met with some fate, yeah. 
So, um, you know, it, it's summer when we're sitting here recording this. I don't know when you guys will be listening to it. But so one, you know, the big hot topic things that especially we kind of look at with prevention this time of year is drownings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more people out in the waters, at the beach, you know, in pools, ponds, mm-hmm. all of that fun stuff. So drowning, that's a huge external factor. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to kind of dive deeper into it, pun intended, in a second. <laughs> um, but, uh, but once you have a drowning arrest, it, it kind of ceases to be... I don't want to say it ceases to be a traumatic arrest, but we kind of treat it similar to any other hypoxic arrest because that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. But it's still an external factor, and especially, um, I actually don't think we have a a source here, but I can get you a source that backs this up because I've read it many times. Um, The most common age of drowning actually tends to be teenagers, Mm -hmm. and generally that actually um, has some kind of other factor um, specifically substance, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we think about a whole bunch of teenagers during the summer drinking yeah. at a pool, they get a few beers in them, they yeah. go, I'm going to go dive into the deep end. Then they hit their head, get a compression injury. Yeah. And so now it's kind of a poly trauma mm-hmm. thing. You've taken water into your lungs or, or a dry drowning, which is kind of an outdated mm-hmm. term, but you start to have that traumatic yeah. arrest and we might have, you know, a neurogenic spinal shock mm-hmm. along with a hypoxic mm-hmm. arrest. I feel like the biggest... And I kind of like the thing that we think of as, like, a traumatic arrest is, like, a hemorrhagic shock. Yeah. Whether it be from, like, a car accident or a shooting or a stabbing or Mm -hmm. anything like that, I feel like that's the, like, kind of what our mind goes to when we think of traumatic arrest. And and I think everyone's really good with that concept, right? You know, that that permissive hypotension Mm -hmm. fluid replacement. Mm -hmm. There's not enough, you know, fluid in the tank. Let's replace it. Mm -hmm. Let's try and get that heart beating again. And I think it's stuff like um, like our neurogenic shocks that mm. really kind of throw people through a yes, loop and get so them puzzled. Yeah, I feel like that's the odd man out is the neurogenic yeah. shocks. Well, especially with the bradycardia and the hypotension. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's not what we're used to seeing. They don't, they yeah. don't go together in yeah. terms of patients. But we don't really see it that often either, I feel. Nah, I mean, I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure I've ever seen a neurogenic. Yeah. Even if it is, I feel like it's... Like a like, maybe like a car accident. Like you just had like this insane trauma. Yeah, and there's so many factors. Yeah, other kinds of shock Mm -hmm. going on too. So it's yeah. Yeah, I mean, kind of going along with that. Like I I think it's either that, or kind of jumping to the other side of the fence. I think if you a, a lot of times that we see it. If there's been an injury severe enough to cause a mm-hmm. neurogenic shock, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times they're just in an arrest where, yeah. you know, and we're not we, really there, There's no bradycardia. Exactly. <laughs> the, the heart's not beating. Like, it's, um, but so yeah. You want to you jump into, so we're just going to go through all the different kinds and like deep dive into uh, kind like of some treatment nuances. and pathofit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. would you like to start with electrocution since that's kind of. Yeah, so um, electrocution, um, the biggest time we think about it with trauma is going to be lightning strikes. Yeah, that's what my mind Um, goes to. Yeah, I mean, obviously we have, you know, you can have the story of like, uh, you know, electrician Mm -hmm. working around the, uh, around a a building, you know, and getting shocked or whatever. Um, But again, kind of going with external factor, and this becomes any electrocution, but I'm going to kind of specifically talk about lightning strikes. Um, It becomes funky because we got to kind of really change up our mindset. And what happens is it's obviously this external factor of a, of a huge amount of, of energy going into a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're used to, um, so kind of the example that comes to my mind, as, as silly as it is, but we'll kind of roll with this for the sake of the discussion, is like six guys out golfing on a golf course and a storm comes in and lightning hits them. So if we show up to six patients, you know, and let's say we got 
two yellows, two reds, two blacks, mm-hmm. right? Um, when we're used to our triage, we usually come in and go, hey, kind of, you know, excuse my language, but screw the black you're tags. Dead. Yeah, you're dead. Please move if, out of the way so yeah, we can get to these reds. We're going to treat the reds, <laughs> then get to the yellows, and maybe circle around to the mm-hmm. black tags if we have time and mm-hmm. we think it's worth it. Well, what's going on with electrocution is we actually changed that up, and the yellow and the black tags, they're still alive. Yeah, they may be hurting. They're probably going to be okay for the next little bit. Mm-hmm. And so in electrocution, we swap it up, and we actually go to those black tags first. Um, and kind of the thing that makes this clear in my head is, um, think about if you just defibrillated someone. Yeah. Kind of that same mechanism is happening mm-hmm. with lightning, just a whole lot less controlled and a mm-hmm. whole lot more energy. So a lot of times if we get to these patients, we do, you know, a few... You know, a minute or two of CPR on them, get some good oxygenation and get that blood flowing again. Mm-hmm. We can get that um, electrical activity going and get an organized rhythm. Yeah. And you actually, when you have that, you know, early CPR, maybe early defibrillation mm-hmm. if needed, if, they, if they're in a shockable rhythm, we actually see really good outcomes with these patients mm-hmm. surviving. Um, so it's usually like a shockable rhythm that they go into. Um, so... So my understanding behind it, and, and I'm just kind of talking off the back of my head, I, I don't have a source right in front of me on this, so I, I apologize if I'm a little off base, but my understanding is that um, generally following the event, it's a shockable rhythm, then the heart will kind of start to go through its own cycle, yeah, uh, yeah. usually kind of going down into a non-shockable. Yeah. Then the whole theory is hopefully we'll, we'll get Rosk after that, mm-hmm. but obviously without perfusion in that mm-hmm. time, um, other factors may mm-hmm. kind of intervene on that. Um, but yeah, so, so don't be surprised if you show up to a yeah. lightning strike patient and, and have to, you know, mm-hmm. defibrillate them once or twice. Um, so I guess m- now my question would be, is if you go and put that patient or like maybe you have like two black tags and mm-hmm. you show up and you put both of them on the monitor or whatever. Yeah. And like it, are, if they're asystolic. Mm-hmm. Would you just move on to the red tags? Because so, I like my understanding is the whole idea of in like the reverse triage is mm-hmm. like early defibrillation because generally it's shockable. So I feel. So yeah, that's no, it's a really good point, and uh, I don't necessarily have like the perfect answer for it. That is okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, my fr- from everything I've read on it, and like I guess kind of if I was asked to come up with a game plan for that right now mm-hmm. is. Obviously, if it's a shockable rhythm, I'm, I'm shocking them, mm-hmm. right? Um, if they're if they're like asystolic, because um, they're not going to go from asystolic to a shockable rhythm. Most likely <laughs> not. I mean, I would assume, um, but I would probably still work it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think you know, obviously, in conjunction with med control and your yeah, protocols yeah. and all of that. Depending on how many people um, you have, how many patients. Exactly. I think I would work them for a little bit in terms of you know. Even, um, I'm not sure I'd go crazy with ALS, especially yeah. in the, in like the multiple casualty mm-hmm. scenario, even just like getting some good oxygenation, yeah. some, some, you know, compressions on them. I think I'd go for that even asystolic. Mm-hmm. I just think again, within your, your protocol and med control, I'd have a earlier threshold for termination. Yeah. I'd, instead of, you know, the 20, we kind of traditionally think of, you know, like kind of over on the mm-hmm. medical side, I think I'd be like, okay. We've been trying this five, six minutes. There's been no changes. Like, yeah. we got to move They're on actually to the other a black patient. Tag now. <laughs> exactly. You know, we tried it. We proved it. This ain't happening, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Anything um, else with electrocution? Yeah, so, so the only other thing, just to kind of put it into your mind, too, just talking about how severe they are, mm-hmm. keep in mind that the majority of patients that we go to, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, that mm-hmm. are lightning strikes, mm-hmm. um, are not true lightning strikes. 
Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so the, the reason is is that if you think about it, how lightning works is it finds the quickest path to the ground, mm-hmm. right? Um, generally, that's not going to be a person. There's going to be mm-hmm. something taller. However, what happens is this event called side splash, mm-hmm. where all of that energy, when it hits something, it hits it with such force that it shoots some out from the sides. Uh-huh. So most of the time, that initial strike is actually going to be like a tree, a building, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and then it's actually that energy shooting out from the side that generally mm-hmm. hits people. So when we think about survivability, I'd say your chances of surviving a true head-on lightning strike yeah. are pretty slim, even just from the other mechanisms such yeah. as like burns and whatnot. Burns, but, yeah. but the side splash, depending on how mm-hmm. directly of a hit you got, like that can kind of kind of change it there. Mm. Um, so just keep that in mind when you're kind of talking about lightning mm-hmm. strikes and um, switch it up to that reverse triage. I think at the end we'll go over like when to transport when to be like yeah Yeah, we've tried this um yeah and like yeah when to start when to stop and Mm -hmm. stuff like that next the very fun very happy and sunshiny hanging the asphyxial traumatic rest so so that i'd say is a pretty i don't want to say a pretty high occurrence but more frequent than a lot of others yeah I've done more hangings than electrocutions. We'll say. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing them every week, but I mean, Correct. I've done yes. I've done a handful of them. Yes, and I feel like you have the asphyxial component, but then depending on how they did it, yeah, neurogenic also. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they, I mean, assuming they like like rope around the neck. Yeah, right? yeah, kind of our classic. Yes, if you what put, we think of. If they put the knot on the back, like the back of their neck, mm-hmm. when they jump, like your your neck naturally is yeah, kind of that whiplash motion yeah. almost. So yeah. you don't break your neck, and in that aspect, it's more the asphyxial, mm-hmm. like the respiratory arrest that leads to the cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. But then if they like the knot is at the side and you jump, yeah. like your your head it's snaps, gonna put it to the yeah, side. it's gonna yeah. probably break mm-hmm. your neck. So I guess it kind of depends on how they do it. But mm-hmm. um, seat collar, I feel like for every hanging arrest even if it's not for like see this sounds weird but not for c-spine precautions but more to just like keep keep everything where it needs to go yeah get a little floppy and i mean i think that's something that we don't really talk about a lot is exactly that point like c-collar obviously cervical spine stabilization Mm -hmm. first use but like there are a lot of areas in in the country that it's their routine practice to put a C collar on for every intubation. Yeah. Whether it's an eighty year old cardiac arrest. I think Ryan likes arrest. to do that because it just keeps them. And he went to Capitol, which was more, a Hartford yes, thing. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I tried it because yeah. I saw some people doing it, and I, I really like that practice. Now, the one caveat I'll give to this that kind of ties into trauma in my mind <laughs> is the new studies are finding that collars increase intracerebral pressure. Yes. Yeah. So just look at the mechanism of your arrest mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, risk versus benefit, mm-hmm. but... So pretty much a routine, like, I don't want to say medical code, but like a routine code, but emphasis mm-hmm. on airway, like yeah. with respiratory and hypoxia being mm-hmm. the biggest and, and I think reversible cause. Kind of going exactly with that, having a high suspicion for it, if we have that, that crushed windpipe, right? Yeah. Maybe really having a high suspicion for this may be that time that you're going to get your pucker factor mm-hmm. and have to break out that crank kit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, backboards, no. Yeah, we don't really do that anymore. Unless you're, I mean, we use back, I feel like the only time we use backboards is like codes or something like that where you're just using them to move the patient, not necessarily yeah. for like 
full spinal immobilization, but just like yeah, it's I've a hard never in the six and a half years I've been a medic and almost ten I've been EMS fully spinal yeah. immobilized someone to a backboard. Head blocks. <laughs> never heard of them. <laughs> I, yeah, I gotta be honest with you. I don't know if I could do it. If you ask me to. <laughs> what else did we have? So maybe for this you would like. Oh goodness. I, it's oh, it's okay. still recording. Okay. The screensaver just went on. So maybe for like a hypoxic, like a hanging arrest, you would mm. prioritize like an actual tube instead of like a BLS airway yeah. or superglottic earlier than if you mm-hmm. were just running something else. And, and and I think that's a really good point, right? Is is I don't think there should ever be a time that we're not thinking on calls, right? Yeah. Like as as a paramedic, we're all ACLS certified. At least in this area, I would hope across the country, everyone's ACLS certified. Like we look at you know a few few rounds in we we get to the you know advanced once airway done, once you've done access and like your first few meds and stuff yeah. Like that, yeah and those are really good like kind of most of the time thing mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with varying from that yeah. as long as you're thinking you can't just start randomly making decisions mm-hmm. but if you say hey I'm using my brain and saying this yeah. is hypoxic let me change stuff up a little bit yeah. Because that even like the super, super glottics work very well, like the eye gels, mm. I have had great success with. But like, love eye Just putting like putting a tube into the trachea and just delivering oxygen all of that there oxygen is just mm-hmm. yeah the ideal. Yeah, you're you're not going to beat that with any other yeah. kind of airway. And I feel like with sorry, I feel like no, you're fine. Super glottics too, like they're blind insertion devices. So like, if there is that. That is exactly Injury what I was just going to gonna say. the trachea, like, maybe you're just, like, you're like, it won't go in. Like, yeah. you know, like. And you're not so actually maybe seeing. Just, yeah, taking and a quick peek in there might be. <laughs> I was going to say this. I was, I was going to say not that it's the primary goal, but passing that, that laryngoscope blade is almost diagnostic mm-hmm. in the severity of that patient. Mm-hmm. Um, Anything else for hanging? That's what I'm thinking about. Um, no, nah, I mean, that's really all I got. Um, yeah. Yeah, I got nothing else for hanging. That's pretty straight. Yeah, hy- hypoxic arrest. Look for those, yep. you know, spinal injuries. Mm-hmm. Next, drowning. Drownings. Which you kind of touched on before. Yeah. But since it's the summertime, it is t- tis the season for drowning. It is like. the season for drownings. Um, um, yeah, drownings are an, an interesting one. Um, there's so many different aspects. There really yeah. are. Um, and, and it's kind of something that I don't think we, we really understand super well. Yeah. Like. There's a lot um, going on in there. Yeah. Like, like, one of the big changes is we used to use the terms uh, wet versus dry drowning. Mm-hmm. And, like, that that really isn't a thing anymore. Like, that's kind of left the not only the world of paramedicine, but also the world of, of water rescue. Yeah. Like, I feel on, like we still kind of, like, you already said dry drowning at one point. So I feel like we still use the term. Yeah. But so, so really, the my understanding of the big takeaway, both kind of wearing my other hat on the water rescue side, and on this side mm-hmm. of, um, you know, the paramedicine mm-hmm. is I think they really just kind of stopped using it because it really doesn't matter yeah. 99% of the time. Yeah. Um, we're not going to treat it any differently. Mm-hmm. So why, why you know, mm-hmm. change up how we're labeling yeah. it? They now, this article that we have here, it says, is it an article? It's from NCBI. Okay. Um, it says we now use terms death, morbidity, and no morbidity. So, like, death, mm-hmm. death. Yeah. Morbidity just means, like, they got sick mm-hmm. from it or, like, yep. like they got hypo- – like, they had some mm-hmm. kind of – Yeah, hypothermia, hypoxia, it. yeah. And then no morbidity. Yeah. So, I guess they – And, I mean, that's – that's even one of the things we changed on the on the water rescue mm-hmm. side is is we used to be like, oh, well, you didn't die, so you, you had a near yeah. drowning. 
even though you went through the same thing, we just got to you quick yeah. enough. Like, the next sentence here is, wet drowning, dry drowning, and near drowning are no longer accepted terms, mm-hmm. although they may still be used when discussing drowning, which yeah. we have kind of proven because we've been using them. Yeah, and, and just so we kind of understand those differences, again, it doesn't really matter in our care, but a wet drowning is just when we've taken water into the lungs. Yes. A dry drowning is one where you held your breath and you went hypoxic because you obviously weren't getting air and gas exchange. Mm-hmm. However, you didn't take that water. And I think there, I don't even know if it's like a conscious act, but like sometimes when you get like a little bit of that water in, you're you get a laryngospasm yep. because mm-hmm. of that, and so Absolutely. like it just clamps down. Yeah, and so it doesn't let any more water in. So yeah. like dry, meaning it was hypoc, like you yeah, drown, you weren't breathing, but no. there's no like water yeah. in your lungs per se. And I mean, the only time that we really worry about um, water in the lungs with drownings is going to be a little bit after. Um, because obviously in in wet versus dry drowning, kind of using that out-of-date term, mm-hmm. it, it's a hypoxic arrest. Mm-hmm. Whether you got water in there or you don't, we're going to manage yeah. the airway. Um, obviously, we maybe want to utilize um, maybe a little bit greater PEEP if we have the capabilities mm-hmm. when we have fluid in the lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of think to your same concept as like congestive heart failure, mm-hmm. right? Like fluid's fluid. It's yeah. in the lungs. It shouldn't be there. Yeah. Do stuff to move it. Um and it used to, and I feel like like you were saying it's not even as much of a concern for us like what they drowned in because we're going to yeah. treat them the same but it used to be thought that like salt water like oh they had a salt water drowning yeah like, so that so sodium is going to shift than a fresh water drowning that used to be the thought but you don't actually aspirate in a typical drowning you don't aspirate enough water yeah to cause those changes so like the idea was that you ingested like all these like the sodium all these <laughs> electrolytes and that would eventually cause fluid shifts and cause like cerebral edema and stuff like yeah. that but it, you really don't aspirate enough yeah, salt I mean, water medicine wasn't wrong in that mechanism Correct. but it's just not it's enough. Just not enough it's just not enough now the one thing one time that it kind of does start to come into play what they drowned in and it's not till later. It's just, you know, if we can report it, that's mm-hmm. great. It's if we do get ROSC on these patients. Yeah. Um, obviously, if they're in, you know, their nice clean pool, it's a lot better than if they're in that, you know, kind of scummy pond on the edge yes. of town. and they aspirated, um, like, all that bacteria and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. Because that's just, you know, that's pneumonia waiting to yeah, happen. The, uh, the still fresh water. Yeah, Ugh. which on a... Uh, Lucky. On a drowning, you probably don't want pneumonia right after that. Boy. So uh, kind of getting the heads up to the uh, you know yeah. receiving facility and getting antibiotics running is uh, probably hey, a pretty good idea. drowned in a freshwater pond. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I didn't want to go in there to rip them out of yes. there. So, you know, give them a Z-pack. Um, so this mentions, uh, this also mentions like hypothermia, even in the summertime. Yeah. You uh-huh. are going to get hypothermic. So water has... I believe it's, of course, I um, can't remember any of my statistics right now, but it's like something like a three times greater affinity to dissipate heat. Yeah. So anytime someone is wet. Even if you're like, at the beach in mm-hmm. the middle of the summer. Yep. And you drown hypox- or hypothermia. And especially like keeping in mind that our, our blood circulating through us. Yeah. Is a large way that we kind of thermoregulate and stay warm. So not only in a traumatic arrest are we going to have no blood circulating yeah. for that, you even just look at a drowning, we're probably going into a state of shock, mm-hmm. which 
you know, vasodilates and moves everything, you know, away into the core, mm-hmm. away from the peripheries. Mm-hmm. So in both of those cases, it's not even just that we have the water on making us cold. Mm-hmm. We're already kind of heading cold. into hypothermia. Yeah. And this says cold water can be protective, especially in children. Yes. So, like, the idea is, like, it's, like, that neuroprotective aspect mm-hmm. of it, like, the, in the hospital, the targeted temperature management. But yeah, like, that targeted cooling. Yeah. Um, yeah, Not like to say that we shouldn't be rewarming these, and, like, making making an well, effort yeah. to keep them warm. The, the biggest takeaway I've always understood from, from that is just, if I went to a drowning today in, like, early July. 80 degrees. And they've been in the water for 40 minutes. Yes. I've got pretty much 100% yes. confirmed this isn't happening. Yes. However, 40 minutes in the middle of January, you know, because a kid fell through the ice, I'm going <laughs> to look into this one a little yeah. bit more. That may have actually been enough to, to you know, kind of do that yeah. neuroprotective mechanism. Yeah. So under pathophys, this is vital tissues may become hypoxic because similar to the hanging, this is essentially... Mm-hmm. Hypoxia. A respiratory arrest that leads to a cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, arrhythmias initially starting with tachycardia mm-hmm. because they're hypoxic and then progressing to ventricular arrhythmias and then a PEA or asystole. That's mm-hmm. your, your end rhythm. It says, aspirated fluid can lead to surfactant washout and dysfunction, increased permeability of the alveolar capillary membrane, decreased lung compliance, and VQ mismatch. So... Essentially, like, yeah. so, like, lung injury, mm-hmm. hypoxia. Yeah. Your alveoli can't expand anymore because the surfactant's been washed away. Mm-hmm. So it's just bringing back the peep that you were talking about before. Yeah, high peep on yeah. these patients. I mean, within reason, obviously, yeah. but, you know. Um, Management is aimed at reversing hypoxia as quickly as possible. And, ca- and just keep in mind, too, um, Kind of what we talked about earlier at the at the beginning of this kind of episode. Um, don't. Oh, it's a full episode now. It's not even a lecture anymore. <laughs> episode lecture, whatever. You know. Um, take take a take a quick step back on any drowning, and ask yourself why, and make yes. sure you're not missing something. Yes. We use like the example what? of the teenagers drinking in the pool, yes. diving in. Um, it may be something as simple as it's a kid who shouldn't have been in the surf and can't yeah. swim. Um. There was one case I looked up. I don't know if I printed it out, but it was a woman who had a seizure and fell yeah. and drowned, mm-hmm. and they like pulled her out. But mm-hmm. like, it wasn't because she like went in and couldn't swim, but yeah. she also like genuinely had a seizure. So like yeah. that would be another aspect that you would have to manage. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah, I mean one one that jumps out to me is uh, is I was uh, I I did a, a dive rescue where the dude like I'm sitting there and I'm like you were at like ten feet like what happened? how'd you get messed up this bad <laughs> he drowned. He had a heart attack. Ah. Had a heart attack and then dropped. Like, <laughs> no, you know? what a bad day. And we're sitting there and we're like, what's going on? And sure enough, <laughs> yeah, like he was a very competent diver. Just if he was sitting at the picnic table or in the water, he was going to have a heart attack. Yeah. And he Just had the, to be in the you know, water. <laughs> misfortune of being in the water. Okay. Um, underlying primary rhythm cause of drowning. And like, so trauma, even if it wasn't like, mm. even if they like drowned and then had trauma or something. You know what I mean? Sure, like, yeah. If they, like, went under and, like, hit their head Got on a rock Got hit by a boat propeller. Yeah. yeah. What a, you know. Um, yeah, just kind of always take the... Look big picture. Don't, yeah. you know... And, and, and I believe in this for any call. You know, 
Don't get tunnel visioned into one thing. Yeah. Stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. You can you can yeah, have multiple absolutely. things with your patients. Like your heart attack drowning man. Yeah, that was a that was a fun day. Poor guy. Yeah. What's he doing now? Yes, he made it. Did he really? <laughs> He's not allowed to dive anymore, but he is still alive. <laughs> Alright, we should move on. Neurogenic. Alright. This is one. this is the wonky one. The wonky one. Super wonky. What could mm. cause neurogenic? Shock leading to traumatic arrest. What do you think? <laughs> leading to traumatic arrest. Yeah. Um. So here's I the guess problem. I guess it would be some like blunt injury to the spine or something like that. Yeah, I guess maybe like uh, maybe like um, the trajectory of a bullet. Yeah. Well yeah, enough maybe, that maybe, like maybe. you know it shot through a lung and the then spine. the spine. Yeah. You know. Um. And I mean that's even like that. That's kind of an interesting point there. Is those big multi-system traumas yeah. where we have, you know, a penetrating it, trauma? Like an MBA, yeah, like five times already. Um, but yeah, well, neurogenic's a funky one. Yeah, because you get the bradycardia mm -hmm. and mm. the vasodilation. So normally, like when you vasodilate, your heart is gonna it's gonna speed do up that that compensating mechanism, yeah, but because, because it's gonna try and keep that cardiac output, so it's gonna increase the stroke volume, increase ICP. Putting yeah. pressure on the medulla. Medulla oblongata. Medulla oblongata. Yeah. No, that is true. That bradycardia. So I guess uh, that would be neurogenic shock. Increased ICP. So any kind of like head injury, I guess, potentially. You know, that's actually interesting. I guess that would be neurogenic. I've never that, like, looked right at that now. that way, but but yeah, like yeah, I, I guess it would be like mm -hmm. when we talk about like our uh, our trademark Cushing triad. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, I guess that that would be a really I feel great like example the of bradycardia. Would cause shock before the respiratory aspect would cause shock, or maybe they just build on it. Maybe both, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with you. When I guess Cushing's is actually hypertension, so I guess it's yeah. it's a little little different mm -hmm. than neurogenic because mm -hmm. neurogenic you'd have the the hypotension, but pretty similar I feel mechanisms. Like it would generally depend on the like the level at the spine where yeah. the trauma is also. Well, and, and I mean, that's a really good point that you say that is, is like everything, like, like I guess kind of in my head, I feel that like neurogenic shock isn't necessarily all equal. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's what, C5 staying alive? Like I that's, remember. well, there's an area in your cervical yeah, spine, yeah, yeah. you know, that that uh, that's where your it comes off of your central nervous system to your yeah. peripheral nervous system for your diaphragm. Mm -hmm. If we severed there, yes, that's neurogenic shock. Yes, you're probably going to go into an arrest mm -hmm. because that paralysis is not is now not allowing your diaphragm yeah. to move. So therefore, no breathing. Um, so I mean, like that would kind of be like one like the biggest times mm -hmm. higher level spinal cord, mm -hmm. you know, um, separations. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. Where in the court is the injury? I even wrote that down. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you planned ahead. Um, Next. Yeah. Yeah, that pretty well covers neurogenic. Because, yeah. I mean, it's really going to kind of be whatever is what else is. is going yeah. on, you know? And like um, we were saying, you're, if, if you're assuming you're at the point where you're in cardiac arrest. Yeah, like, who cares? We, like, we can't really tell. Yeah, unless exactly. there's, like, an actual deformity to the spine or something, yeah. like, or their neck is like that or whatever, you know? Exactly. But and, I mean, still, we're not going to do anything... Different, really. You know, yeah, we're, we're going to work that arrest. Mm -hmm. um, I, so, kind of jumping into an obstructive shock. Um, so, obstructive, it, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's obstructing something from happening, right? Mm -hmm. It's the heart, lungs. Flow. Yeah. So, um, we kind of look at... Um, like a cardiac tamponade, um, 
when obviously that's that's filling up with blood. Tamponade. 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 You weirdo. <laughs> it's the, we get the point. Blood's filling up around the heart. It can't be. Call it whatever what you want. What could cause that, Mitchell? Uh, that would be some kind of blunt chest trauma, <laughs> a stabbing, a, a shooting, stabbing, a yes, car accident. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, so when we look at it, it's it, it's bleeding, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's anything it's, it's that can cause trauma. Yeah, yeah, and it's blood that fills up around the heart. Um, so now the the issue with that is the heart can't be efficiently, you mm-hmm. know, it can't fully expand. Mm-hmm. So we're getting decreased cardiac output mm-hmm. with really no mechanism to to mm-hmm. fix that. Um, the ultimate fix for that's going to be a pericardiosynthesis. Yeah. They don't let us do that anymore. So, these these little paramedics might be though. You don't mm. know they're going to be working. Drop that big oh. needle in the heart. A lot of blood. A lot. <laughs> don't hit the LV. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. It like not take a whole lot though to actually cause like. In I don't a, think in it an does. Setting, I think it's a very small amount. Yeah. Like, um. Yeah, I, we, we used to actually be able to do it in this area. Not, not in my time, but mm-hmm. in the not-so-distant past. Yeah. Um, Someone messed it up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you shouldn't put a big needle in the left just ventricle. Put it just a little bit too far. <laughs> if you start drawing blood out of the left ventricle, you it messed up. It starts shooting out with every heartbeat. you got too far. <laughs> oh, I would just quit that day. <laughs> I'd be like, here's my med control. Thank you. It was a good run. I don't deserve this anymore. <laughs> um. Yeah, then, then kind of, I, I think tamponades are one of those things that are, um, especially in the presence of, of a traumatic arrest. Yeah. I think they are near impossible to determine. Yes. Um, yes. and I think unless they have, unless you have POCUS, maybe point of care ultrasound in the field potentially. Sure. Um, but in the setting of a traumatic arrest, are we really going to be like, wait? Let yeah, me put is this- it a tamponade? <laughs> And I mean, that's the thing, like, like looking at POCUS, like, I, I can see more of, like, a, a pending arrest, you yeah. know, trying to figure it out. But I mean, that's even kind of my problem. And, and medicine's obviously ever evolving, and I, yeah. I think this will change. I think at we, some can talk, point. we can bring this up on the um, termination or, like, withholding resuscitation, yeah. too, at the end. But, um, yeah, keep but I mean, if we can't even fix it, like, I'm almost yeah. like, why would I ultrasound yeah. it? Like, that's great. I know this now. Yeah. Cool. Um,. But yeah, like, like at least in my mind, the obstructive that like always kind of comes to mind in any kind of traumatic event yeah. is going to be the the pneumos. The Can we tension talk about Bex triad real quick? Yeah, go for it. Um, so Bex triad in the setting of a tamponade is JVD. Yep. Decreased or narrowed pulse pressure, and then what's the third one? Oh God, you're asking me this. Sorry. We have to go to our sources here. I just want to give you guys good info. It's, yeah, what is it? Is it bradycardia? No, it's not bradycardia. It's not bradycardia. It's um, hypotension, J-I, elevated jugular vein. Muffled crashes, heart which, sound. And muffled, well, that makes sense, muffled heart sound. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> which obviously we might not have those in the setting of an arrest, but if you, like, see those signs and then they go into cardiac arrest, you can be like, oh, it was a tamponade. Yeah. Or if that wasn't the cause, you know they at least... Had one, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes we'll, like, especially in those pending arrests that go arrest, we may have a lot of ideals of why they arrested. Yeah. But, like, we may be kind of kind of guessing at, yeah. at why. Um, but go on to Pneumo. I just want to mention that real quick. Yeah, so, so Pneumo's, um, it's, it's really kind of, like, in my mind, the biggest reversible causes of a traumatic arrest yeah. that we actually see routinely. And can do something about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Either in a pending arrest mm-hmm. or or you know, in an arrest. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's the thing. Like, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like nothing because, yeah, it's a little scary putting that big needle in the chest. Yeah. Like, I was kind of honestly scared to death the first time I did it on it's a stabbing. It's not as easy to find a landmark on a person as it is the it mannequin is that has 70 holes already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that one gets head. a little easier. And also, just, just quick, quick fun story. The first time I decompressed a pneumo, it was a, it was a stabbing to the back shoulder blade with, like, a huge knife. Um, and went to attention pneumo, you know, mm-hmm. whole textbook thing. Left-sided. So I decompressed them. Um, my landmark was fine. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I did midclavicular right up, right up on top. Um, I have no idea why. So it ended up being a, a hemo pneumo, mm-hmm. right? I popped the needle in there. Some blood came out. And my immediate thought that I had like a like 60 second panic attack was, oh my god, I hit the heart. <laughs> I'm like, I put this needle into the guy's heart. And then he got better and I'm like, Did the bleeding that didn't stop? happen. What was that? Did the bleeding stop after that? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like uh, like what we talk about when we teach decompression, like yeah. that whoosh of air. Just, just think blood. about that with blood. Like, it was definitely like some pressurized yes, blood. It kind of, I don't want to say it shot out, but yeah. you know, it kind of came yeah. out with a little bit of pressure. Yeah. And then it just kind of so stopped. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it was uh, it was me and a uh, uh, paramedic supervisor from from the ambulance company. Um, the local commercial ambulance company. Yes, the local commercial <laughs> ambulance company. Um, and it was both his and my first so fun. needle decompression. And he thought the same thing. <laughs> he looked at me. He's like, "Woo, take it out." <laughs> I'm like, "We're so getting in trouble for this." And then he got better. So you know, it was it was great. Um, so don't feel bad. <laughs> so yeah, so that was clearly like you had a reason. Mm. Oh my god, this got this man got stabbed in yep. his chest. Yep. And uh. obviously had signs, but like in a traumatic arrest. Yeah, just do it. Just do both sides yeah. too. Both sides. Yeah. Even if like you are getting fine chest rise. Yeah. Even if like like if you, I think the Connecticut State Protocol is like if you have blunt trauma to the mm-hmm. chest and cardiac arrest. Yeah, double, just do it. Just dart both just sides. Do it. Yeah. Because even if it's not the cause of the arrest, like if yeah. say they have like it some massive hemorrhage or something. It might be enough to push them over yeah, the edge. Yeah, it could impede your ability to get ROSC too. So just yeah. double dart both sides. Mm-hmm. And if, and like, it's super if it easy. is, super easy. it's so like, easy. And um, if it is a genuine like pneumo, hemo pneumo, whatever the case yeah. may be, don't be afraid to dart the chest more than once. Oh, and that's a like, great point. Like, a lot of people are like, well, I darted. They didn't yeah. get better. And it's like, you, but are you still having yeah. signs? Some people like, walk in to, like, like, rightfully so, like, you mm, walk into the uh, ED and you'll have, like, multiple yeah. decompression needles on the same side of the chest. And, I mean, that even goes for, like, that's a great talking point, even non-arrest. Like, yeah, if, yeah. if you darted yeah. them and then it seems to not be working for some reason. Or if reason, it got like, better and then And then went back downhill. Again, yeah. Like we talk about like burping it. Sometimes mm-hmm. they kind of like clot up. You know, you can't get air they, out. Yes, they will Put clot another up. one right next yes. to you. You already got your landmark. Yes. Like, Or go to another landmark yes. if, if you have a reason yep. to. And that that's one of those old wives tales too. I'm just going to get out of the way yeah. right here. If a doctor needs to put a chest tube in. The whole they're going to pull it out. It's, yes. it's literally a needle prick. Just like, because you put a needle yeah. in there doesn't mean they can't just shove a tube. Yeah. Take that needle out and shove a it tube in there. It affects like, nothing. Yes. Use the landmark yes. that is best for your patient. Mm-hmm. It affects nothing mm-hmm. in putting a chest tube mm-hmm. in. Um, but yeah, just, just dart them. Just mm-hmm. dart them. Um, it works super well. It works quickly yeah. when when it was you know needed. And that's the other thing like like that I was taught is... If somebody 
needed a dart and you darted them, what are they going to get at the hospital? Yeah. A chest tube. Yep. If somebody didn't need a dart and you darted them, what are they maybe going to get at the hospital? A band-aid over the hole. Or a chest tube, <laughs> right? Like, we're okay. Like, chest tubes aren't that big of a deal. I don't but want you, one, but, like, you'll yeah. recover. Like, and you're not going to cause the sucking chest wound by putting no. a needle decompression, a needle in the chest. It's not, what, I think it's like you need a hole the size of, like, a dime or something like that. That's what I always heard, yeah. yeah. So your little 14-gauge needle is not going to cause do it. a sucking chest yeah. wound. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's the thing is, they seem like such a big deal until you get like your first one or two yeah. out of the way. Then you're like, oh yeah, like, like oh it's uh, fine. It seems doing nice. Sometimes IV, right? it's hard like, if they're like on the heavier side, the fluffier side. But it you is. Know. And I mean, there are some like kind of tricks for that. Like you know, obviously traumatic arrest gets a little wonkier moving mm-hmm. a patient. But like one of the things I love to do is, is I'll go for that that mid axillary yeah. and roll the anterior them axillary. anterior <laughs> axillary. Excuse me. Um, still having coffee this morning. <laughs> But I'll roll them so that that side's up if, yeah. you know, there's not a contraindication yeah. and it kind of helps, you know, for lack of a better term, the flab go down yeah. and kind of find it a little just bit. Just while but you're inserting it. Correct, yeah, correct. Yeah, 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 I'm not going to yeah. leave them there, yeah, yeah. but just for just for insertion to help yeah, yeah. landmark and then roll them back, you know, into, into whatever position's indicated mm-hmm. for that patient. So, yeah, double dart your cardiac arrest, your traumatic cardiac arrest. Yeah. Don't be scared. It's, it'll be okay. Yeah, I promise. <laughs> you probably won't, unless you put it, it in the, the ventricle or something like that. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Landmark um, properly. Hypothermia. Hypothermia. Our cold this is patients. A spicy one. It is. <laughs> Hypothermia is wonky. Um, transport them. Always transport them. <laughs> Almost always transport them. You're not dead till you're warm and dead. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. What do we have? Oh, probably transport them. <laughs> Maximum of three epis. Yeah, don't do more. Maximum of three epis. And space them out more. Yes. Because, mm. like we were kind of saying before, like mm. your blood, even... Even, I mean, if you're in cardiac arrest, obviously your blood is not circulating, but if it's mm-hmm. cold, it's still yeah. harder for it to circulate. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take longer for your meds to take effect. So, yeah. I mean, epi is not useful in cardiac arrest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, like, honestly, <laughs> if we're being real, like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a different podcast. We should, have a, we should do an epi episode. We can do an epi episode. An episode. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, guys, we got next week's video. Um, Space them out. Yeah, space um, them out. Um, it's kind of like the same, not the same, but like similar patho or like the pathophysiology of like a crush injury almost, but like globally because yeah. like you're just like globally not circulating. Like mm-hmm. your cells are still like doing respiration, like making CO2, yeah. but since you're so hypothermic, like I mean, yeah. you're bradycardic. Oh, yeah. It's harder for your blood to circulate. Everything is slowing down. Mm-hmm. So it's just. Like, things are just accumulating. So. Yeah. Uh, um, and a lot of the times you may be going to that anaerobic metabolism, yeah. which is going to get that acidosis yes, build yes. up. So um, that's why they say, like, keep them horizontal. Like, try yeah. not to move them as much. Yeah. Because like, when you do, you're going to dislodge those products, like the lactic acid mm-hmm. and the CO2 and all that and stuff. So that actually comes to a very interesting point, which I'm not saying I have a hard and fast answer on, mm-hmm. but I think it's a really good talking point. Mm-hmm. Because we're all used to our traumatic arrest, you know, lights and sirens, yell on a one in this area, right? Hypothermia patients, maybe we want to take a step back and think about that. Like Lexi sent an article in the group chat the other night that was like, lights and sirens do nothing. Yeah, so I mean. something like that. Like, they really don't do anything. Yeah. I mean, maybe if it's like rush hour at 5 p.m. or something and you're like downtown. Mm -hmm. But. And, so. and that's even, that's a dynamic that I, I really hate, but I'll be honest about, is I feel like 
the times in recent memory that I've gone into a hospital on a one mm-hmm. um, have been because in my head I said I don't feel that I can justify if someone asked me yes. saying why I didn't like a, like a yeah. cardiac arrest yeah. right and that's the problem is I have that idea in my head that I'm like I'm doing I'm stuff. Just like, getting, I'm just mm. doing it because I don't want to get in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> and and I, I, I hate that mindset yeah. of medicine. Like, But maybe that's a dynamic we can work on changing. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, hypothermia, I, I, I think even in, in the case of a traumatic arrest with hypothermia, I think that's a time you can explain why you didn't. Just you know, a nice, chill, ride in, you know? and <laughs> Not a bumpy ride. <laughs> and again, I agree with you. Like, if we get on 91 and it's like, man, it's bumper to bumper. It's going to take yeah. me an hour to get three miles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe now it's time mm-hmm. to light it up. But if it's one in the morning and I can yeah. cruise right down the highway, I don't necessarily, not not knocking anyone, yeah. but I don't necessarily need the 18-year-old guy yeah. that's driving the ambulance <laughs> to be going Mach 1 down right. the highway, you know? Unless, um. unless you guys, you listeners out there, have specific protocols for it. Since, mm. I mean, uh, follow your protocols. But absolutely. Um, and listen, don't ever be afraid to call med control. I think oh, med control oh, consults are underutilized, yes. at at least in the area we work yeah. in. Um, if you're worried about getting in trouble, but you have a good thought, yeah. like I don't want to go like the sirens with yeah. hypothermia. Give them a quick call and go, Doc, this is where I'm at. Yeah. We on the same page? Yeah. Good, cool. Now it's now it's not an issue. Yeah. Um, also, just to kind of circle back around, one of the things I want to talk about is just what hypothermia is. Mm-hmm. Because hypothermia is kind of a broad definition. Yeah. And what we're talking about with these traumatic arrests mm-hmm. is not, hey, Granny's been on the snowbank for 20 minutes yeah. because she had a heart attack shoveling <laughs> snow. Like, that's not a hypothermic arrest. Mm-hmm. Like... Yes, do we need to rewarm her? Probably. Yes. But it's not what we're talking about by a hypothermic arrest. Mm-hmm. Like, this is somebody that if I dropped a Coors Light on, the mountains would turn blue. Like, <laughs> they're cold. Like, so just keep that in mind. Like, a true hypothermic arrest versus somebody that's been in the cold for a little bit. Yeah. But has also been in a jacket and yeah. just, you know, has been on a snowbank. Um, and like we were saying with the drowning, too, like, even if the hypothermia wasn't the cause of the arrest it's it could still be a yeah. factor and kind of impede your ability to get ross i actually remember that i did a i did a shooting a number of years ago in new haven in in the winter time yeah and a uh, guy got shot like in the middle of the night and we didn't get like he wasn't found till the morning so it was kind of a, a duel well, like he was shot that. and yeah. he was hypothermic and actually we'll, we'll obviously talk about it with uh with with when to transport, but that's why yeah. I transported him is because he was hypothermic. When should we bring up the trauma diamond of death? Maybe in maybe in hemorrhagic. Yeah, we can do that. Take that's that. our next section. Yeah. That's kind of all I got for hypothermia. Okay. You got anything else? Um, I don't think so. All right, cool. So going into our hemorrhagic, kind of our this, our this trademark. Like, yeah. yeah, like what we're used to. So like MVAs, shootings. Stabbings. Yeah, kind of like the stuff you see in movies. Yeah. You know, I always love this because, like, this is not. Oh, the you bring in. I I have a printout of the trauma di- or the diamond of death and trauma. Yeah. But yeah, the the, the triangle. Mm. Um. So, in hemorrhagic shock that leads to cardiac arrest. It's kind of like a lose-lose situation. I feel like because compressions 
you're just like assuming there's some kind of internal bleed that we can't stop. Like obviously we can put tourniquets on people and stuff like that, which we should. But yeah. say it's like an MVA and there are like no gross external yeah. injuries, but like like a like a pelvic injury yeah, that's that's like you that. know like, lacerated the femoral artery yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Assuming we can't stop that bleeding, like compressions, you're just like pushing more you're and more it out. out. Like <laughs> and then epi too, like the vasoconstriction, like you're yeah. just we're increasing the pressure. We're squeezing the tank. You're just squeezing more blood out. Yeah. So it's really like it's a not to loose. say that we don't want to do those things because yeah, ACLS do compressions yeah. you must skip epi every three to five minutes but and it's what we gotta it's, do it's what we have to do but it's not it shouldn't be the focus i feel like yeah we have to do them but yeah it's really not doing anything for our patient yeah think about what else you can do you know volume yeah. replacement right yeah. and like obviously we want to be cautious with with i don't want to say be cautious with fluids but we want to remember that that you know normal saline or lactated ringers yeah. are not oxygen carrying components yeah. like as much as they can fill the space, yeah. they are they do not have hemoglobin. Yeah. Um, but they may be able to help out if we're able to effectively control bleeding. Yeah. They may be able to help kind of keep it going for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, you brought up pelvic binders. Yeah. Or pelvic mm. fractures. So I brought pelvic up yeah. binders. We give partially. I mean, in a traumatic arrest, they're not in pain, but to potentially reduce mm. pain that somebody might be in, but also to try and tamponade any bleeding that might be going on and like obviously it's, it's not going to stop the bleeding completely like there's no, no way we're going to be able to like no i mean that's a huge space the, close the pelvis yeah it's a huge you can lose your entire entire six liter blood volume, blood volume into your pelvic mm-hmm. cavity like yeah. and like we're it's just massive. yeah we're just not gonna be able to stop that yeah. but but maybe we can slow it down enough to, yeah. to get to a facility yeah. that can do blood replacement yeah. you know the goal is to get them to the OR. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> in that case, you need to be, like, on yeah, a like table. Surgery. Like, open uh-huh. on the table, like, right then. With some blood going in. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so focus on stopping the bleeding, then mm. airway. Yep. Um, yeah, and that, that's a really important distinction. Like, so important, I'm going to say it again. In hemorrhagic patients in general, whether pre-arrest, arrest, not gonna arrest because we got there quick enough. Yeah. Stop the bleeding first. Yes. I don't give a crap that they're not breathing. That's why they say X A B C. Yeah. Exsanguination. Because if they lose breathing. all of those red blood cells, I can have the best airway in the world. I got that, nowhere to put my one oxygen. One red blood cell. Yes. Yeah, he's gonna carry work that much oxygen. hard. Stop the bleeding. Stop the bleeding. Uh. Um, don't if you get ROSC or if they're like pericode. Mm. Don't give them pressors. No. Do not give them pressors. Absolutely do Don't not give pressors. Don't even say the word pressor. I know that they're them. hypotensive. Don't give them pressors. Don't give them. It's, oh. It might. I mean, it's going to squeeze the tank. Yeah. But even if it raises their blood pressure, I'm doing air quotes, yeah. it's just going to give you a fake number. All yeah. it's going to do is make you feel better. Yeah, not they're your patient. They're still bleeding on the inside. You yeah. haven't stopped that. Yeah. You're just squeezing more blood out mm-hmm. of that little hole that's in there. Yeah, it's, it's like being in your car and being like, I'm running low on gas, so I'm just going to go faster because then I might make it better. <laughs> like, it's, you still don't have enough gas. Like, it's going to go great until mm-hmm. it doesn't go great and you code again. So I think you mentioned permissive hypotension. I mean, we're kind of talking now about like pre-code. Yeah, yeah. But you or or post-code. I or mean, post, if we've been yes. really great at this, Ooh, good job, gold Yay. star. 
Uh-huh. You can give them epi's. You can give them epi's. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my favorite thing that I remembered learning in uh, medic school was uh, if you aisle a rock and give it enough epi, you'll get pulses Straight back. Up. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Doesn't mean they're going to make didn't it. save their life. You just <laughs> gave them a gallon of epi. Yeah. Now they have a heartbeat. And yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Talk to me in 30 minutes. Their cerebral <laughs> circulation is non-existent. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned permissive hypotension. Yeah. Um, so permissive hypotension, like really important concept. Um, and kind of like the thing that, that I was always taught is when you put a lot of fluids in with a bleeding patient, you're just going to make Kool-Aid. Yes. Um, Kool-Aid can't carry blood. Correct. However, we do need to maintain an adequate pressure to take what blood product we have left in there to get it to those vital mm-hmm. organs we need to perfuse. You know, our kidneys, our brain, our lungs, our heart, all of that mm-hmm. good stuff. So kind of all the studies that have come out is permissive hypotension. Mm-hmm. So target, you know, I know every book's a little bit different. I've always yeah. gone by the, the 80 to 90 systolic range yeah. somewhere in there. Um, usually I kind of start backing off once I get above 80. Yeah. Like really stopping at yeah. 90. Um, map of 60. Map of 60, yeah, which map is so underutilized. Like that is such a I better number. I feel like we should only, like when we get a blood pressure, yeah. it should just give us the yeah. map. It's yeah, don't don't else. tell me systolic diastolic. <laughs> tell me map, like, and also just for all of you um, future medics and current medics out there who may be listening to this, um, your life pack tells you the map. That's the number next to it. It actually does. Like, it's I'm that not little even, number in yeah. the parentheses. I'm not even asking you to do math. Like it's right there. Like, and actually, the life pack, the map is the only accurate part of the blood pressure. Correct. The blood pressure sucks so much. Because it on gets that. a map, and then it gives you a systolic and a diastolic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how it gets those numbers. Super advanced computer stuff. Yeah. So like, start paying attention to maps. Um, Except no permissive hypotension and a TBI. Correct. Traumatic brain injury. Because of that increased ICP, you need your blood pressure to overcome the increased pressure in their brain. So you want a map of 80 to 90 in the case of a TBI. So no permissive hypotension. Only in the case of like a hemorrhagic yeah. shock or something like that. Are and we talking about permissive This is where it becomes so important to talk and map, I feel like. Yes. Because the problem is, you know, I like I've heard all the time from patients, you know, or from providers, excuse me, about patients, right? That it's like, oh, they had a blood pressure of like one twenties. Okay. Yeah. What was the second number? You spend the majority <laughs> of your life in diastole. Like it's yeah, not so like in like Especially diastole is, is obviously that resting pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, their systolic was like 120. And it's like, that's great. But then you come to find yeah, out their, their diastole, diastole was like 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you know. And you're like, dude, that means that they're super dehydrated <laughs> or hypovolemic, you know. That, like, they have no pressure yeah. when it's resting. Like, I wish, like, I wish I thought in map, but I, I don't. Which is not what I'm taught, trying to, like, but I don't. Yeah, like. And I feel like it's just so ingrained, like, systolic blood pressure. Yeah. And like even when you're talking like to palpate a blood pressure, it's you're literally only getting the systolic. Mm -hmm. Like you're not getting like ninety percent of the picture. No, and I mean that—that's the problem. Is just in all of medicine, you're taught coming up like systolic diastolic, and just you know if you can't get a diastolic, get a systolic, whatever. Like yeah, it's like one twenties, whatever. Like um, maybe that's gonna be our third episode. Oh yeah. Map and why you need it. Or something like that. Oh, I like Ooh. that. Let's do it back to the basics. Yeah. I've been trying to take more manual blood pressures lately. Yeah, so um, I got in that habit um, because I kind of got bitten the butt of trusting the life path yeah. monitor. And I didn't trust my I gut. I find you know? that when I do it by hand, like with the actual sphygmomanometer. Sphygmomanometer? <laughs> like 
actually do it manually, yeah. I trust it so much more. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was just, I had a patient that I'm like, you don't look good. Like, there's something going on it here. But you know. like, It says your pressure is fine, but I yeah. just don't. And, and it was actually one of those where, like, the diastole was, like, really low, but it wasn't coming up yeah. on the life pack. Mm -hmm. The systole wasn't, like, crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it was, like, 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, nothing really bad happened to this patient, but it just kind of, you know, it was a wake-up call for yeah. me that I'm, like, my ears yeah. are better than the computer. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to trust that. Mm -hmm. um, what about? We got a little bit off on our map, right? Let's do the, let's do the trauma triangle or the, the diamond okay. of death. Yeah, the triangle diamond of death. of death or whatever you call it. Diamond of death, triangle of death. The diamond of death. of death is the more updated version. Yeah, yeah. So what are the four corners of the diamond of death, Mitchell? All right, so we're going to start with acidosis, oh. which is super bad. Super um, bad. Super bad. <laughs> super um, bad. So uh, acidosis... Um, where we kind of start to get into that ju just really briefly, really, you know, kind of basic is um, as we don't have enough oxygenated blood, we start to go into anaerobic mm -hmm. metabolism, which one of the byproducts is, is lactic acid. Mm -hmm. So we start to get that acid build up mm -hmm. and we start to get that metabolic acidosis. Mm -hmm. um, which also not making enough ATP with that. Correct. So like yeah. you're built, you're getting the acid and you're not mm -hmm. getting You're not getting it ATP. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so coagulopathy, as we start to get that acidosis build up and have less blood, we clot less. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem is we're kind of we're kind of screwing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're bleeding more, mm -hmm. losing blood, mm -hmm. and not able to stop it as effectively. Mm -hmm. um, Going back to the acidosis real quick, that yes. also affects the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve. So that able, is correct. When the pH is more acidic, yeah. your red blood cells do not hold as much oxygen as well. So you have, mm -hmm. yes, the acidosis because you're, you're hypoperfusing your tissues, but you also like yeah. the oxygen that the red blood cells that you do have and the oxygen that is mm -hmm. in there, you can't hold on to it yeah. as well. Yeah. So kind of everything snowballs. Yeah. Like it yeah. gets really yeah. bad. Like, um, and that's one of the important things is like, just to kind of jump away from this for, for a brief second is don't give up your A&P. Nobody liked their A&P semester in medic school because it seems so abstract at You're the time. You're just like, oh, like, I just got to get through it. Yeah. And I never have to think about it ever again. And, like, that's what it's so Wrong. abstract. But, like, this is where it's so important yeah. to understand what's going on. Um, but next one's hypothermia. We talked about yes, that a lot a few yes. minutes ago. Um but it decreases the metabolism, like it decreases yeah. their ability to stay alive. Yep. Um, and then uh, hypocalcemia. That's the new. The, it used the to be the, the the triangle of death. Yeah, and, and then they added hypocalcemia. They added hypocalcemia. Yeah. Why did they add hypocalcemia, Mitchell? <sighs> because assuming it's like now, so now we're talking about like a hemorrhage. You know, you asked me that question, knowing <laughs> that you had to tell me the answer. <laughs> so. We're talking about a hemorrhagic yeah. shock now. So, and this is more like, I would say, critical care or in hospital aspect yeah. of it. But when you're giving, are you going to talk about blood transfusion? Yeah, I, that answer. yeah. I thought you had something off base. No. Um, but when you're giving whole blood, mm -hmm. whole blood is packed with citrate as yep. a preservative to prevent the blood in the bag from clotting up. Yep. So that citrate, when you give it to a patient, the citrate binds free calcium that mm -hmm. they have in their blood. So even if they're like, they have a normal calcium level to yeah. begin with, or even It'll if it's dry, yeah, yeah, it's gonna drop. So the idea is you give mm -hmm. them calcium mm -hmm. in 
addition to the whole blood that you're yeah. giving to prevent the hypocalcemia. And, and that's just, that's a good little talking point. I think we'll probably get to it here in a second more mm-hmm. um, when we talk about whole blood. But if any of you go on or currently work in a service that, that carries whole blood. Connecticut actually get a, has a whole blood yeah, yeah. protocol. I mean, I don't think we it's far from it being in here. a lot of areas. Like, yeah. I'd say next five years, I wouldn't be shocked to see it around. I feel like mm-hmm. us around here, we're too close to the hospital. Yeah, but you know what? I still wouldn't but even be shocked to yeah, see something like, you know, supervisor fly cars yeah. carrying a few units, yeah, you know. Um, you know, like kind of like a like a resource you could yeah. call, especially for like prolonged incidents, you know, extrications, yeah. whatnot. This um, whole blood transfusion protocol from Connecticut says... Um, Witnessed arrest from hemorrhage or suspected hemorrhage under five minutes prior to provider arrival and continuous CPR throughout downtime. So that's like pretty, pretty specific. Narrow, yeah. yeah, so parameters. I guess a lot of people would be um, not following, like not indicated per this protocol. But now the thing that's written on there that I think is the thing we really need mm-hmm. that I think would be even better than whole blood. TXA. 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 I'm a huge TXA advocate. What does um, TXA stand for, Mr. Transexemic acid. <laughs> See, there's I printed right something. Now. So TXA does not cause clots. It no, prevents it prevents clots. them from being broken down. Yes. Fibrinolysis. Yes. Sis, sis. Prevents fibrinolysis. Yeah. Fibrinolysis. Fi- <laughs> we can't say it. We know what it prevents does. Prevents the breakdown of fibrin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so that's basically like like kind of like the uh, quick down and dirty about TXA is when our body forms a clot, it already goes in with the mechanism to break down that clot. Yes. And that's important in the body because if not, we end up with like blood clots. I was literally just a lecture about this yesterday. I love TXA. <laughs> I, I think it's so cool. I'm such an advocate for it. So that's the thing is when we see these like really big bleeds in our body, especially mm-hmm. internal bleeds, a lot of times, it's not that our body's not clotting. It's that by the time it starts to actually kind of, you know, put a seal on that, that dam break, mm-hmm. it's already starting to break down that clot. Yeah. And so all TXA is doing is it's stopping that clot from being broken down. Mm-hmm. So it allows it to stick around a bit longer and hopefully control that bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, so huge advocate of TXA. Yeah. I think we wouldn't need whole blood in most cases if we're able to get early TXA on Maybe. board. Yeah. Some cases. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not basing that on... I'm just kind of basing that on thought mm-hmm. of patients I've seen. You yeah. know, if we get there early enough with internal bleeds, yeah. maybe we'll have luck. But I forget. I think this TXA protocol is new. I don't think it's out yet, but... Yeah, I don't think so. It has indications listed. This is from the Connecticut State as evidence of significant trauma and evidence or concern for severe and ongoing external and or internal hemorrhage and presence of one or more markers of hemodynamic instability so systolic blood pressure again this is all blood pressure yeah below 90 sustained heart rate above 110 after pain is adequately treated and the injury had to occur within the past three hours so you can only get txa within i feel like i've heard that pretty big parameter yeah yeah, three hours you need all of those things contraindications under 15 years of age Previous allergic reaction, obviously. Isolated head injury or women who are known or suspected to be pregnant over 24 weeks. Also, I'm just going to throw this out here. Yes. Not at all as a negative. 
But how long do you think we've been recording for so far? I don't know. We're an hour and seven minutes in. We were aiming for like 45. Yeah, no, I think we should keep going. I just, if you would ask me, I'd be like, I don't know, like 30 minutes. Right? Yeah, like we just got on our roll. Like that's, that's cool. Um, Um, So TXA. Yeah. What is it? A gram over 10 minutes? It's a drip. It's not a push. Yeah, it is. Um, for some reason, I wanted to say two grams over ten minutes. One but gram, it, it says right here. One gram in fifty to hundred mLs. Okay. At least ten minutes. Okay. Oh, you, you you know what it is? It's to a max of two, I believe. Yes, you can do you can a, a second. Yeah, that's why two was in my head. Yeah, but it's yeah, yeah it's it's each dose is one gram yep. to a max of two grams. And that's going to be protocol area specific, also. Of course, yeah. And, and, I mean, that's one of those things that, that just for, like, um, you uh, you newer medics that are getting ready to kind of head out there, TXA is, uh, like, a lot of our trauma care um, is kind of coming over from um, from the military. Mm-hmm. It's been used there mm-hmm. for a bit. So it's kind of it's kind of a new thing to civilian yeah. um, EMS. So I think you're going to start seeing it more and more and more. Yeah. Um, this article mentions the CRASH-2 trial, which I'm sure yep. we can find in the link, but that mm-hmm. was, like, basically said, like, TXA was, like, the holy grail of like yeah. internal hemorrhage like treatment or whatever yeah i mean they've been using it for a while um in hospital too for a lot so of a lot of stuff no studies are done in the united mm. states but like i know they use um txa quite a bit in surgeries yeah like to stop yeah, yeah. so i mean it's it's not like a new civilian yeah. medicine thing just kind of a new civilian ems thing yeah. i guess they're doing a crash three right now um, that's ongoing, and that is investigating the effect of it on TBI patients. Wow. Or, like hemorrhagic yeah. stroke? Like. Crash three trial is a multi-centered, randomized, and placebo-controlled trial of the effects of early administration within eight hours of injury of TXA on death, disability, and vascular occlusive events in TBI patients. Huh. So, That'd be interesting I don't know if it's isolated TBI or, like, just... Yeah. In conjunction with, like, another hemorrhage or something. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be it is ongoing, so we will see. Yeah. All what right. What else we got? We got some pocus. Ooh, wait. Yeah. The MVA arrest where mechanism does not match. Oh, yeah, that's a really good one. Um, the, And really good talking points. Um, So, like, you have, like, like, a fender bender and the driver's, like, in cardiac arrest. Yeah, like, I think that kind of goes back into what I was saying earlier, like, Slow down, big picture. Yeah. Like, take a look at what's going on. It's probably a medical arrest that just happened to occur. Like, you're exactly. drowning. Like, your heart attack yeah. while drowning. Yeah. Medical arrest. Yeah. Drowned. Yeah. Medical arrest in the car. Mm-hmm. Car crash. And, I mean, that's even the thing, like, like, I think kind of with that drowning one, right, like, it was complicated by where the event happened. Mm-hmm. But, like, I've done cardiac arrests like this where I'm like, yeah. Dude, like, I did the same car accident yesterday. Yeah. And I got a refusal. Yeah. Because you were fine. But this one's dead. And now you're dead. Like, there was this is cool. I would have to find the study, but it was like, I don't even know if it was a study or if someone just said this to me, but it was like, if your presenting rhythm is shockable, you should be very suspicious that it's actually a medical arrest and not a traumatic arrest. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I never heard that, but that makes a, Doesn't that it makes make a sense? ton of sense. Because At least consider the possibility of a medical... You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, you, you don't necessarily have to put all your eggs in that basket, yeah. but, but, like, I'm a huge advocate for we should always be thinking. Yeah. Let, let raise some hairs on the back of your neck and go, like, hey, like, is there something here? If you something move off of it quick, here. that's cool, but... Yeah, that's a... And listen, like, we even talked about, like, the fender bender where mecha- mechanism doesn't match, but, like... 
you could have where mechanism does match, but something might yeah. push you towards something else. Totes. People can roll their cars down yeah. ditches because they had a seizure. Yeah. You know, like, it, it can happen. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, keep an open mind to that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Trauma naked. Trauma naked, always. Trauma naked. Always. Head to toe. And especially. Socks off. Everything. everything. Undies off. Take it off. Cut it. <laughs> Put a blanket on them after. <laughs> keep them warm. But cut them off. But make them naked. Yep. Um, with one exception. Don't cut a down jacket. Never cut a down jacket. Don't cut a down jacket. <laughs> Take it off. <laughs> because uh, I yeah, have. I that once. I have a uniform from work that I had to throw out because it was just covered in feathers. <laughs> I washed it like four times. I couldn't get it out. I intercepted You're a unit born. on the highway. Did you wash that in your home? Oh gosh, <laughs> gosh, no, oh, no, no. Nope, firehouse washer. <laughs> never, never wash it at home. Um, but yeah, I intercepted a crew that cut it like as oh. I was throwing my gear in the back and I'm oh, like, okay. oh. Okay. Um, yeah, don't and, cut it down, jacket. But like, you literally have to look yeah. everywhere. Yeah, like your whole patient, every square inch. And I mean, that's especially the thing. Like, you know, you and I kind of came up in a in an urban system. Yeah. We've done I don't want to say ton, but we've done shootings, right? Done done one or two. Yeah, day. you know, enough. Yes. Twenty two bullet holes, which twenty two are the cheapest guns you see out there. <laughs> so we tend to see them a lot. They're little. They're tiny. <laughs> On an entrance wound, like, you can miss it yeah. super easy. I was, and they don't bleed a lot. Like, don't. you're not going to see a massive amount but of hemorrhage they, coming they out. Do, they do so much damage inside. Yeah. Well, especially 22s. They don't have enough power a lot of times so to do clear leave. through and through. Yeah. yeah, so they rattle around yeah. in there and can nick a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And 22s are tricky because you got, oh, it's a low caliber round. But so that's what can like, hit oh, everything yeah. inside. And you'll be like, man, it, it entered in your hip. Yeah. Why, is, why do you, you have, why you know, you have a, a pericardiothopia? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this doesn't make sense. I was but. listening to a podcast oh, fairly recently, and it was a medic who missed a GSW because the – or he missed, like, one hole or something, but it yeah. was, like, literally in the guy's, like, butt cheeks, like, between the cheeks. Ooh. And he missed it. Ugh. But if you miss a GSW hole, that's a huge, huge deal. deal. Huge, huge deal. Huge deal. And I mean, that also goes into scene assessment. Like, this is, it It always stuck with me. It's kind of a joke story, but it always stuck with me. Um, back back when I was still an EMT, I, uh, I rode in a shooting with, uh, with one of the supervisors from the company I worked with at the time. And it was a Spanish-speaking patient that had been shot. Mm-hmm. And pretty minor injuries who shot in the ankle you know relatively stable um but the the paramedic that rode in with me i can see him trying to find some spanish words that he doesn't have and he goes quantos 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 bang bang and the kid goes oh one but that's a really good question right like if i found one gunshot yeah and they tell me hey listen i felt that I got hit twice yes. if they're able to, you're yeah. missing something. Yeah. Like, look again. Um, and look in those maybe hard-to-find so spots. Yeah. You know? Spread the cheeks, man. Oh, <laughs> you got to do it. Don't want to do it, but you got to do it. Check for rectal tone while you're there. <laughs> I am not doing that. That's where I draw the line. If that bullet went in not your rectum, then somebody else is going to find that. I don't know what to tell you. We're going to call that one a miss. No, if you have a spinal injury, you lose rectal tone. 
Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, I'm not oh. checking it. Like, someone else can. Someone else can find that one. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> um. All right, what else we got here? Uh, Pocus. Pocus. What does you're, Pocus stand for? So, point of care ultrasound. Point of care ultrasound. You're the, you're the better expert I really Pocus. feel like I'm not, but yeah. I feel like this is a very area-specific, service-specific. Yeah. And, and you know what I think we should actually do? Mm-hmm. Since we have a medical director Who loves Pocus. downstairs who's a huge <laughs> ultrasound guy, like, walks around on possible mass shootings Holding with the ultrasound in his hand, like... <laughs> I think maybe we should just lightly touch on ultrasound is a new thing kind of coming out into yeah. EMS. I think we're still a ways off, but I think we'll start to see it. Yeah. It can show us where internal bleeding is and where, yes. like, pericardial tamponades, yeah. pneumos. Um, and I think we should just kind of leave it at there and let another, you guys know, yeah, yeah we're going to get you an episode with our uh, guest yeah. guest speaker the talking pocket, more about POCUS. Episode, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll skip the rest of that. All right. What else we got? Ooh, we're on the back. Well, that was kind of it. Anything else you wanted to talk about? No, that's kind of all I got. We touched upon the trauma diamond of death. Yeah. Um, talk about TXA. Mm. Whole blood. Mm. Yeah, I guess we're... I guess that we're wraps done. it up? Well, for hemorrh- hemorrhagic. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um... So we got some trauma center yeah, stuff? Yeah, just like some like logistics stuff. Okay. Trauma centers. Trauma centers. There are five levels of trauma centers. And I have them listed here. So a level one trauma center is the highest level. Mm. So they have 24-hour in-hospital access to general surgeons, availability of anesthesia, EM, neurosurgery, ortho, radiology, plastics, maxillofacial, um... Da, da, da. Continuing education for all team members, public health education. I think the only difference between level one and level two is that a level one is a teaching hospital. I, that was always my understanding. But like capability-wise, it's this like they could care for a patient almost the same. Correct. Um, so if you have a, like whatever your mm. protocols are, if someone meets like trauma criteria, and actually yeah. we could pull up Yale's trauma criteria if we mm. want, but um, ideally take them to a trauma hospital unless I would say like if you need some kind of like airway stabilization that you that can't perform the same like thing I stop said. at the closest hospital yeah. and then that like then go to the trauma center or yeah. if you are capable like if you're able to I mean in this area we're very spoiled because we have trauma centers like, yeah. within like, 10 minutes of yeah. like wherever you are but if you can help it bypass and go like make yeah. go out of your way to go to a trauma center and, and like the way I look at it is always be making progress towards the goal of the trauma yeah. center. And the reason I say that is, like, like I'm from Indiana. The, mm-hmm. the town I'm from out there, they have just what a community kind of hospital. trauma centers do you have out there? <laughs> they have a community hospital in town. The nearest trauma center, I believe, is about 90 minutes by ground. Um, so generally, when they have a full trauma out there, yeah. their protocol is they go to the community hospital, which has a helicopter. Mm-hmm. So like that's part of their trauma oh, alert stabilization yeah. and flight yeah. to to Indianapolis. Um, so like, yeah, you're not going to a trauma center, but you're making forward yes. progress yes. to it. Like you know that's in your plan. Yep. Um, and the community hospital does minimal interventions just to yeah. stabilize for flight and yeah. then puts them in the air. So so it says. So that's level one, level two, level three, 
provides prompt assessment, management, surgery, and stabilization for trauma patients. So mm. kind of like yeah. keeping them alive to get yeah, there. To get yeah. to the one or two. And then level four can provide advanced trauma life support to trauma patients before a transfer to a higher level of care. Level five can provide evaluation, initial management, and preparation before transfer to a higher level of trauma care. Okay. So yeah. I'm trying to pull up the trauma destination guidelines, page 16. Page 16. Here we go. So these are Yale's trauma criteria. So Okay. Fit, physiologic finding of GCS of 12 or less or systolic BP. There we go again. Of less than 90 or a respiratory rate of less than 10 or more than 29. Anatomy of the injury. So GSW to the chest, head, neck, abdomen, or groin. Third degree burns covering more than 15% of the body or third degree burns of face or airway involvement. Mm -hmm. Evidence of spinal cord injury, amputation other than digits. Two or more obvious proximal long bone fractures. Uh, mechanism, fall over 20 feet, apparent high-speed impact, ejection of patient from vehicle, death of same car occupant. That kind of goes on with um, mechanism, I feel. Pedestrian hit by a car going faster than 20 miles an hour. Vehicle rollover, significant vehicle deformity, especially the steering wheel. And then other factors, um, age less than 5 or greater than 55. Known cardiac or respiratory disease or penetrating injury to the thorax, abdomen, head. Thorax abdomen, neck, or groin other than a gunshot wound. So those are all great. Um, I just had a thought if this podcast really takes off. Yeah. We got to make t-shirts that says make map great again. Oh, uh, wow. So if you guys want to buy one, let us know. <laughs> so those are um, the, st oh, that's actually state trauma criteria. So those yeah. patients should be transported to a level one or level two yeah. trauma center. Again, unless some other um, yeah, contraindicator, yeah, yeah. Uh, indication, excuse yeah. me, raises like... Like, the thought that I had is we have a, um, uh, like, standalone ED up yeah. on the, uh, um, up right off the highway here. Yep. And I had once, I was actually transporting a patient from an even farther out hospital. Mm -hmm. It was L&M. I was going down to Yale. Yeah. And it was a trauma alert that had to be transported yeah. down. And it occurred to me, like, there started being, it, this This was a while ago, so I'm trying to remember, but there was some kind of, like, airway issue. Yeah. And the thought popped into my head that I could catch Guilford. If pop in needed. if I needed to RSI this patient yeah. and then even I didn't care if they stayed on my stretcher I could have loaded them right back yeah. up and kept yeah, yeah, going yeah, yeah. down the highway this but actually, I just needed the meds yeah. you know this actually specifically says the only exception to these destination guidelines shall be a trauma patient in whom airway control cannot be established mm -hmm. or external bleeding cannot be controlled by the EMS providers so, so th that one didn't immediately yeah. jump into my head but that's a, Maybe that's like a, a good one like too clamp or something like yeah. that yeah you know something stabilize them keep them going yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, like we're very fortunate in this part of the state. Very that, like, spoiled. Yeah, very like spoiled. we we can probably make it into a level yeah. one pretty quick. Um, so what to do on that. scene? Oh, how long? How long should you stay on scene with a trauma patient? So or a my traumatic arrest. Blanket I feel like answer. we're kind of getting away from arrest. We are. This kind of became okay. a Holdress trauma episode, that's but right. like that's cool. Um, because I think that actually is part of traumatic arrest is how to prevent them. It's like a big thing, you know? The best way to survive a traumatic arrest is, is to, to not have one. one. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the next t-shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, so my policy with anything traumatic, even traumatic arrest, blanket answer is as little as possible. As little as possible. As little as possible. Um, stabilize your patient. Don't sacrifice patient care yeah. 
for speed because we are advanced level practitioners. Yeah. We do have a lot of stuff we can do and mm-hmm. you should be doing that mm-hmm. stuff, but prioritize what has to happen yeah. and then get out of there as soon as yeah. you can. So like some of the things I think about is, um, if I need to control bleeding, I yeah. need to put a tourniquet on, I need mm-hmm. to pack a wound, I'll take a second to do that yes. because that's a life-saving intervention. Yes. If I have to intubate or any kind of airway, I'll take a second to do that, especially crike. Like, I'm not criking someone going down yeah. 91 like a bat out I of hell. I feel like another, what am I trying to say? Like, another um, thought process would be, like, if you're on the scene of, like, a shooting or something and you're going to, you know you're going to do a crike. Yeah. I don't want to do one in the street. I agree. I agree. I also don't want to do one bumping down the road. Yeah. But. I feel like that's like procedures like that where you're like so laser focused and like, like all I'm going to be focusing my energy on is Mm. this person's neck and this crack and this airway. Like I am not, if someone like shows back up with a gun, I'm not going to pay attention. Mm. Like, so at least get in the ambulance. That's a time when it's almost acceptable to be tunnel vision. Yes. Like within reason, but like you kind of have to be. Yeah. Now also kind of talking about doing stuff on scene, an interesting point with that, with the kind of balance. And this is my pet peeve, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously you work, um, like, EMS system-based, right, ambulance, mm-hmm. and I've kind of transitioned into uh, uh, a fire EMS mm-hmm. role. Um, yeah, you're pretty transitioned into the fire role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I still pay the $155 a year for my license. Um, it still says my name on that piece of paper. But one of my pet peeves that I'm going to touch on here is people die on highways. Responders die on highways. I know I've got the big red truck behind you. Mm-hmm. Get off the highway. And what I mean by that is, yes, I understand that we need to stabilize the patient. Do as little as possible. I don't care if you go directly to the hospital yeah. if there's other stuff we have to do. Yeah. Get on an exit ramp. Yeah. Get on a parking lot. Let's ride off the highway. Yeah. That is fine, but that becomes a scene safety issue. Yeah. And even looking at patient care, if a Mack truck plows into your ambulance, your patient's not going to get better. Like, no. Like, get yourself in a safe spot. And mm-hmm. I, I feel that that's the same um, concept as, as the shooting, right? Yeah, yeah we want to stabilize our patient, but get yourself to an area the where scene. you can safely Make work. Sure safe. Mm-hmm. Scene safety. And, <laughs> yeah, scene, scene safety, BSI. <laughs> There's some truth Falling to it. It's real. <laughs> yeah, like, it? holy crap, oh it's a God. thing. Um, I would say, okay, I feel like, where are we even on this list? Scoop and go versus scoop stabilize the scene, kind of? I would say, like, 10 minutes is the max that you should stay yeah even with a even with an arrest like 10 minutes that's enough time to make your decision yeah. you're going or you're staying once you decide do it do it yeah like yeah. get out of here yeah um yeah and, and listen i'm a big advocate for like take your time on scene for a medical arrest absolutely trauma's different yes like we get like yes. we're all very smart no one's knocking your intelligence right. but there's not no r on the side of 91 like, like yeah like not, go to yeah. the hospital um, especially they have blood products there. Yeah. They have, you know, um, so all like kinds the, of stuff. Do the tourniquet on scene. Yeah. Maybe do an Maybe airway. Maybe an airway. Away, yeah, depending. Like, we talked about a bunch of types of trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Like, depending on what kind of trauma it is, yeah. is your priorities. Airway, yeah. bleeding control. Um, I can even understand, like, taking a taking a minute or two to get set up get your pads on yeah. see your initial rhythm maybe get through around if it's a code i can even understand like if you're going to drop off the amount of people you have get access real yeah. quick on scene 
I can I can understand that. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say ten minutes is a good good window, yeah. right? Like, um, also one of the big things to take away that I think people need to pay attention to is that ten minutes starts like as soon as possible. That's not how long it it's took for like, fire to cut him oh, out of the car, yeah, and then yeah, your timer starts yeah. like. I'm sorry, I know that you may be getting the short end of the stick if it took a while to yes. cut the guy out of the car. But, but like, get out of there. Yeah, like, more reason yes. to do more en route, yeah. you know? Um, and that kind of goes, the scoop and go versus staying kind of goes into mm. the optics aspect of it. Like, yeah. These big scenes, like, on the highway, mm-hmm. or, like, a shooting at a party. Like, ev- yeah. so many people are there. Yeah. Why aren't everybody you going? Has phones. Yeah. Everybody has phones. What are you doing? We, like, I mean, not as bad as police, but like EMS and fire, you're in the public eye. Yeah. People are going to criticize you, mm-hmm. and some people are looking to sue you. And everyone knows your job better than you do. Yep. Yeah. So keeping yeah. An, that in mind, like, you're not going to yeah. leave somebody. You're yeah. not going to work a traumatic arrest mm-hmm. on the sidewalk and then mm-hmm. leave them there. Yeah, the, the you're perfect- not going to do that. No, like, the, the perfect example that comes to mind with that, that, like, I've had similar calls. I'm, I'm guessing you probably had similar as, like, the the biker gang yeah. that one of their guys goes down. Yeah, like, they don't understand that we're just, they like, yeah. you. they see you as the ride to care. They yeah. don't see you as, as medical care, professionals. Yeah. They see you as, you need to take this person to the hospital yeah. so the people at the hospital can save their life and take care of them. And, I mean, that's, like, I went to a, to a biker down that was riding with a group of, mm-hmm. you know, biker-looking guys. <laughs> and I'm like, this, this dude's super dead. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even at this point remember what his injuries were, yeah. but he had that classic term, injuries incompatible yeah. with life. Like, I think he was so ripped open. Like, I kind of remember being able to see a lung. Like, yeah. I think, like, looking at the blood pooled under him, I'm like, that's your blood volume right yeah. there, bud. Like, that's it. Um, like, asystolic, yep. whole nine. And, like, the guys were like, oh, like, he's going to the hospital. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess we're going to the hospital. We transported, like, you know. And that's fine, though. It was scene safety and optics. Yes. Yeah, like, I stand by that decision. Yes. That's not one that I'm like, yeah. man, that was stupid. Yeah. No, like, I'd do that again yeah. tomorrow, you know. And I think Paul's example, sorry, Paul, I'm using your example, but his hanging that he did fairly recently or whatever, it was like... I don't think I've heard about this one. It was a guy who hung himself in the garage. Okay. Like, his, like, one of his family members found him or whatever, and, like, he was cut down, but, like, the garage, like, there was a car in the garage. It was just, like, so cluttered, like, and, like, the house, like, he couldn't get to the door to go in the house, and so, like, he couldn't work the guy in the garage, and then they went outside, and the entire neighborhood yeah so now we're had like yeah now we're so there was like, just no like you can't yeah. work him on the driveway and yeah. then pronounce him with dead. everyone with looking yeah. there like you can't do so yeah. if the only reason you're transporting is because there is no feasible way to work mm-hmm. him and leave him yeah. at the scene that that's is cool yeah if L- that's the listen, case science might, and medicine is great yeah but humanity is an aspect yes. we have to yeah. keep like which goes into the next point it's a human being, yeah. not a science project. Yeah. Don't, you know, if you find, like, some trauma arrest on the side of the road, don't be like, oh, I've never done a crike. Let's, yeah. like, this is yeah. this is my opportunity. To if do they need to do it. If they need it, They're yes. not practice. They're not a cadaver. Like, don't turn them into this big, pro- do what they need. Unless they died tattooed on their chest, I donate my body to science, <laughs> get a few practice reps in. That's not legal. Don't do it. That's like, not legal. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, let's not label myself. We are not lawyers. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah, just keeping that in mind, I feel like sometimes we forget about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, human decency, like, I, I think yeah. it's a huge thing, like, listen, like, we're, we're kind of jaded in this career that, like, we kind of embrace death as a much more normal thing than yes. than other humans do. We joke, like, oh, I would sign a DNR right now. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, people want to die with dignity, yeah. like, allow them to, you know? And, I mean, that's the thing, too, like, yeah, does it maybe kind of suck for us that we're now transporting yeah. a traumatic arrest with zero survivability into the hospital? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it may be a pain in the butt. But you know what? Their family are the ones that have to go on living. Yeah. Like, we'll be fine. Their family have to live with it. And if that's the closure that they need to be like, listen, everything was done, yeah. then whatever. It's an hour out of my Who life. Cares, like, yeah. yeah, like, that's that's what I get my paycheck mm-hmm. for. Like, Special considerations. I don't know if we should get too deep into that because we're an hour, 31 minutes. Yeah, I think maybe that's a just. Let's do. I think the big takeaway is just if there are special considerations. Look into them. Feel, deal yeah. with them. I feel like there will probably be protocols. Like, yeah. very specific. Pediatrics airways are different. Yeah. They compensate differently. Pregnant patients, yeah. right? Move the belly, all of that. Um, just look at your protocols on that. Consider mm-hmm. how to change your care mm-hmm. for some special considerations. So, termination of care, when to start, when not to start. Okay. Which um, we've kind of been sort of bit yeah. talking about. I, I think the best way to kind of sum that up is is that term i've used a couple times that's my favorite is injuries incompatible with life yeah. so for instance if uh you're walking by the exit on the highway and you find their body and then by the next exit you find their head time to stop probably yeah and we're probably good yeah. on this one you know not gonna recover from that one yeah so this is actually from the um national association of state ems officials the trauma arrest withholding and termination of resuscitative efforts So it says, resuscitative efforts should be withheld for trauma patients with the following. Number one, decapitation. Yeah, that's a good one. Number two, hemicorpectomy. So transection of like the the spinal, like abdomen, including the spinal cord or something like that. Like if you have a Honda Civic through your diaphragm, you're probably not going to make it. That's it for you. Signs of rigor mortis or dependent lividity. And then blunt trauma, apneic, pulseless, no organized cardiac activity on the monitor. And it says, resuscitative efforts may be terminated in patients with traumatic arrest who have no return of spontaneous circulation after 15 to 30 minutes of resuscitative efforts, mm-hmm. including airway management, evaluation, slash treatment for possible tension, pneumo, fluid bolus, and minimally interrupted CPR. I feel like that's a very broad, yeah. like, not detailed way to put it. The, tr- the Connecticut state is a little bit it, more... It, and kind of like we talked talked about it a minute ago. I'm all for working on scene terminating on scene medical arrest. Yep. I feel like with traumatic arrest, if I've made the determination to work it, we're going at that point. Because I don't Probably, sit there for twenty yeah. minutes, you know? And, and yeah, I, I don't I don't want to live by a hard and fast always or never. Yes. But I feel like the majority of the time if I yeah. decided to work it, we're going. Um pulling up the Connecticut State so, yeah, so it says damage or destruction, and this is when not to start, damage or destruction of the body incompat- incompatible with life, such as decapitation, decomposition, deforming brain injury, incineration, or extensive full thickness burns. Um, okay. And then it says major blunt or penetrating trauma without organized cardiac electrical activity on, in at least two leads. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I feel like you're going to make that decision pretty quickly. Yeah, the only time I really see me making the decision to work it 
and then terminating on scene um, would probably be the that double pneuma, right? Like, or, or that double decompression, yeah. right? Try that real quick, get some good oxygenation yeah. in, do some compressions for a couple mm-hmm. minutes, and then go, hey, like, this isn't, mm-hmm. this isn't happening. Um, I put ECMO on here. And I feel I like feel that's like kind of an episode in and of itself. It is. Like, so extra corporeal membrane oxygenation yes. is what ECMO stands for. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like... Heart and lung machine. Do it, yeah, doing uh. the heart and the lungs jobs mm-hmm. for it. So like this is usually... And I feel like this isn't something that I think about on cardiac arrest all the time. But It's, it's not since I did my critical care medic that yeah. I ever thought yeah. about it. You know? But like, and I feel like the respiratory kind of like the hanging or the drownings are the best traumatic yes. um, candidates for this. Mm-hmm. But like if the, if maybe you have like a hospital nearby that's capable of that, maybe. Maybe not a bad idea. Yeah. 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 I mean, ECMO is a really cool thing that maybe when we think like this, this isn't looking like a good outcome. Yeah. ECMO might be able to affect yeah. a good outcome. Um, but yeah, we should yeah. do a whole episode. Yeah, let's on do a whole episode on ECMO. That'd be cool. Sure, let's do it. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this up with the last question I have. Okay, what's your question? What do you feel, as a paramedic, is the most challenging aspect of running a traumatic arrest in the field? Oh, geez. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. Mm -hmm. What I would feel would be the most challenging, um, we kind of already touched on, but it's the overall scene management. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, most of the time I feel this kind of goes hand in hand. I don't want to say most of the time, but I feel it very heavily goes hand in hand with multiple casualty yeah. incidents. Um, you know, triage prioritization, I, I think is very complicated. Scene safety. And like we talked about safety of, you know, unruly people with mm-hmm. the biker gang or mm-hmm. whatever, but even just, you know, safety of these tend to be some type of like rescue operation, you yeah. know, extrication, mm-hmm. safety, you know, keeping your crew safe, keeping you mm-hmm. safe, um, getting the patient out effectively. Um, there's just a whole lot of dynamics to yeah. it that get complicated. But I feel like the res- like not just like bystanders or like family members, but like EMS providers too. Like, oh my you, gosh! Like, downtown, like if you go to like oh. man down on the side of the road or oh. something, nobody goes. But then you you get especially like the shooting or the stabbing. Yeah. Everyone yeah. in their mother. You got three hundred people yeah. there, and you're like, "Yo, I'm the one you transporting." Like, like everybody, chill. You're like everybody except you and you. Yeah, go get away. out. It's yeah. just I, the cooks in the kitchen. Oh, I feel like it, that's a very hard aspect gets too. Crazy, yeah. So, I would say that, or like just the actual like arrest itself is very hard to mm-hmm. like medically for us to fix or address. Yes, yeah. and I mean especially they they can be messy like covered in blood yes. you know like it's not a it's not a fun we get code. excited like you're sure, adrenaline's yeah. pumping yeah you see that car all mangled up you're like, you're this like is, oh, all right like we're doing some stuff all right we got anything else for this episode an hour and 38 minutes <laughs> in? that's pretty good so uh just for the record you guys may not enjoy listening to this as much as Devin and i enjoyed I recording it, it but oh i had a blast <laughs> like i'm just saying we may be the nerds here like we may be the ones that are like, I want to listen to this. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, if you enjoyed listening to it, that's awesome. If you have a long drive, you can split this between yeah. your drive to and from work. Or if you're having trouble falling asleep, throw it on. <laughs> no, thanks for listening. Uh, let us know if you guys have any questions. Uh, Submit some recs for some new yeah. episodes. Because, I, I mean, I think we only have, now. like, 25 episodes queued up, ready yeah. to go. So just have no ideas over here at all. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Cool. Have a good day. Goodbye.